This is Wired Up with Matt Kennedy and Jerry Peralta on KMSA 91.3. Two in one week. First one of the week on Hump Day. First time we're doing two shows in one week in... Used, that was that used to be our system. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. Now we're doing it back to back. Special edition, wired up on Wednesdays. Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta, ninety one three FM KMSA, live on your radio dials. And yes, you are listening to the right station because this is the only place you ever want to be. Special edition of Wired Up this Wednesday because well, we have a special guest we are featuring here today. Andy Lindall, former sideline reporter for the Denver Broncos and a of a. Sports reporter slash journalist slash whatever you want to call him for 850 KOA and Orange and Blue 760 yep. in Denver will be joining us on the show at exactly 1230 or within that two to three minute time frame, give or take. So, yes, before we get to that, we got about 14 minutes till we get to that point in the day. But NFL offseason has been crazy last week or two weeks ago. We talked free agency. Yep. And that has been running rec shop in the NFL world, but also NFL league meetings, AKA where all the owners and, and team presidents and whoever makes up the league officials meet and decide what rules they want to implement, change, propose, deny, put away to sleep, whatever you want to throw into, but yeah, uh, throw on the table, blah, 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 blah. And it has been crazy. Yep. Biggest one that, of course, we're going to talk about is due to this little mishap right here. Third down and 10. Breeze from the gun. Takes a snap. Throws to the near side. Hit early. Where's the flag? Early hit on Tommy Lee. Sean Payne is all the way down at the 10. Unbelievable no call. Wow. Not a flag to be found. You got to be kidding me. Throw the flag. That could have and maybe should have been pass interference, and if so, it's effectively game over. Wow. 31-yard attempt. And then, of course, right after that, the Rams will go to the Super Bowl. But, yes, yes. NFC Championship game last year, by the way, that was brought to you by NFL, mic'd up by NFL Films on their YouTube channel. And that was by, uh, yeah, the video was last, Jesus, it was past January. Yeah. That, that audio was brought to you by them and of course that game sparked the controversy therefore it brought into this discussion i didn't think this was going to be passed i didn't think this rule was going to be implemented i didn't think that it was necessary but apparently 31 out of 32 league officials thought that this was plausible therefore this year the nfl will be implementing a one-year trial period of reviewable calls and no calls of pass interference yep and I and I'm right there with you. I did not think that if the I did not think that if brought up this would get passed because there's a lot of scrutiny behind what could go wrong with these reviewable penalties. I get it. Some of them, some are blatant. Some are you know you could see Ralph's right bats like okay, you need to review that one because obviously you guys need to make the make the call. But there are some situations where a call where people want to call, but it's never made, but the play was clean. So that I feel like this is going to cause a lot more problems than fix. I don't have a problem with this. 
I don't have an issue with this. I don't, I don't either. I, don't I, just, I don't think it's going to cause more problems. We were, we were, I was watching First Take this morning, and we just rewatched the clip of... They were saying, and Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman would agree, Yeah, this isn't going to cause much controversy. If, if anything, it's going to maybe slow the game down just a little bit, which I don't have any issue with. I don't have any, any particular game with, um, with that. But the fact that the officials will no longer have to make a call based on what one official or two officials saw at that point in time, whether they were correct or not. Now you will get a chance with multiple camera angles to go back and actually be for certain if something is pass interference or not. Now, the only thing that, of course, may cause trouble will be slowing it down frame by frame, and then maybe we'll eventually get into the discussion of like this, the same argument of what's a catch, you know, what yeah. clarifies as pass interference. Yeah. We'll have to ident- later identify that. I can see that being a big issue, but honestly, this is what the NFL fans wanted, and the fact that some are still complaining that this was implemented is a big hypocritical issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, and going back to what your your point is, like, we don't have issues with this. We get it. I think it's a good. Thing. I think I think just the one thing that's going to cause a lot of issues is the fact that it's going to slow the game down exponentially. I was, just, mm, well, I, okay, okay. I, was, I say exponentially just because. You already look at the reviews that happened whenever there's a reviewable play it anyway. It slows the games down two to two to two to five minutes if it's at a crucial point situation at that game. If you go back to yeah. the NFC Championship game, if that was reviewed, yes, th- Jerry, that would have been called. Oh, if yeah. they reviewed it, that would have been called. I think a lot of situations can come to that. There may be one or two situations to where it's very, very gray and maybe challenged because of coach's yeah. thoughts. So I can see that happening maybe more times than not. Yeah. So I, I can, yeah, I can see it, both sides. It, I can see both sides. It's, it's an issue, but I give, I give the the NFL props for at least saying, okay, this is a good idea. Let, let's do a trial run because it's better if we test this before we just implement it right away and make it permanent. And then all of a sudden they start to feel the effects because people tune out because games are too long or something. I want to keep moving. And we basically covered that. I know we talked about it for two minutes. We can go into a longer discussion about it, but there are a lot of real changes that we want to get into before we brush up on our Denver Broncos talk before Andy comes on the show. Before you brush up on Denver Broncos. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jerry's just on the side. No, no, no. Anyways, um, the elimination of all blindside blocks. And I quote, it is now a 15 yard penalty. If a player initiates a block and this is by is pin, this is what identifies the rule. This is what the NFL has come out and said. This is the official rule of eliminating blindside blocks. Uh, When a player initiates a block in which he is moving toward or parallel to his own end line, which is the sideline it makes forcible contact to his opponent with his helmet, forearm or shoulder. Previously, a blindside block was legal unless a blocker contacted the head or neck area of an opponent. This is going to prevent injuries on punts, kickoffs, turnovers, and crucial uh, game situations that the NFL is trying to restrict upon, therefore making the game a little bit safer. I have done plenty of blindside shots. I've also been blindsided plenty of times. Mm -hmm. I've never been really injured because of them. It's fun to blindside people. It's not fun to get hit when you're not looking. Yeah, That's part of football. I think that's what a lot of people are mad about with this rule is that it's getting rid of some hard-knock, hard-nosed football. Well, already the NFL is starting to get rid of a lot of that hard-knock football that we that we're all used to so with this rule change it's kind of it's getting rid of that kind of thing and i get trying to make the game safer but blindside blocks i think were the rare case were the rarest case of injury in the game 
touching up on some other rules as well. I and there's a lot. There's a lot that's happened. Um, the Broncos, or maybe I should say the one. No, I'll touch. The, I'll do the Broncos one last. Looking up on the other ones approved by the play rule summary by competition committee makes permanent the kickoff rule changes that were implemented during the 2018 season. So yeah, last year they tried that trial run with all the kickoff changes. That's going to be now permanently established this next upcoming year. They also expanded protection to a defensive player via that last, uh, the blindside rule. They changed the enforcement of double fouls where there is a change of possession. They also simplified the application of scrimmage kick rules for missed field goals. I don't exactly know what that means. I don't know either. But they did that. They also allowed teams to elect to enforce on the succeeding try or on the succeeding free kick on an opponent's personal or unsportsmanlike conduct foul committed during a touchdown instead of letting the referees decide which one it will be enforced on. So now coaches actually get a chance to choose which one that they want to do, which I like that one, actually. I yeah. think coaches should get a chance yeah. to choose which one they want to use it either on the on, on the onswing kickoff or mm-hmm. on the uh, reattempt at a try or field goal attempt. So yeah, going to this Broncos one, this one's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I had some mixed feelings about this one. I think it's rather nifty. I think it's rather cool. A lot of ESPN and NFL officials degraded this rule because they thought it was completely whack jobish. because the AAF does similar stuff to this and the NFL is super traditional. They like to keep to their rules. The onside kick. Denver Broncos, more specifically, um, John Elway, Joe Ellis, these guys were trying to propose some stuff, a.k.a. they pr- uh, produced an alternative to the onside kick. Instead of an onside kick, after teams scored, they would have the option of taking possession of the ball at their own 35-yard line to try and convert a fourth and 15. If they get the 15 yards, they get a first down to keep possession of the ball. If they don't get the 15 yards, the other team takes over on downs wherever, wherever the possession ended. So if, okay, so let me see if I'm getting So let's see, right. Denver scores a touchdown. Yes. They are down in the fourth quarter. By the way, this says it was only in the fourth quarter so if this they is, are down. So so this rule would only apply for teams who are down teams who in are the down fourth in quarter. In the fourth quarter, and instead of choosing to do an onside kick, they would implement this rule. It can only be, uh, it can only be imp- used once a game. You can only use this option once per game. You can choose to take the ball from your own 30, or 35, yeah, own 35-yard line, and you have to convert. You have one try to go 15 yards. If you fail to convert that, then it's the other team's ball. That that's an interesting rule. Uh, they do that because they think it's easier to do that than make the onside kick, which have has maybe about a twenty percent chance of. I think succession. I think on, onside kicks have even less percent chances of making that. I don't know how we feel about that one. That was an interesting one. I, I have, think it's fun. It, it it would definitely make the game more interesting, but. But I don't know how well that would work. Uh, it's a, it, that's a very interesting rule to bring to the table. Um, so I, I'm curious on that one. So, and and here in the notes, you say the AAF has the same kind of rule. Yeah, the AAF does have the same rule. Uh, they allow teams to try and convert on a 4th and 12th play from their own 28, which is very specific. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably because they want to get to the... Uh, well, and then it even gets even more specific. The line. team has to be trailing by 17 or more points mm-hmm. with, with under five, five minutes, minutes left, left in the, in the game. game. That Okay, you want to get to specifics, that's very specific. That very that, specific. That's probably the one thing I would think about for the rule is, yes, it would be fun, but... At what point or how far back does a team have to be for that rule to go into effect? Uh, how much time has to be left in the game before that's actually, you know. I think know. it was under two minutes, and I don't think it had a score differential limit to it. I don't know how I feel on that one. I, I would really have to, like, look at the rule in, the, in 
think about situations where that would probably be beneficial for it to come into play. Well, anyway, it got turned down. So yeah, that's not, they, they turned it down. Well, well, and the, the another rule, rule that was tabled at this meeting was the overtime change rule mm-hmm. where both teams get possessions of the ball. I see in cases where that would be more interesting, but I don't think that should, I don't think the overtime rule should change. I feel like that is something. Oh, I wish we can get into that. We'll talk more. I, we we I, have to get into that tomorrow. We, Me and you will have to get into we'll that We'll talk tomorrow. more about that one tomorrow. I specifically want to talk about that one. And I, we'll, we'll come back and have more debate about Because I feel like me and issues. you are on opposite sides on this one. I am on opposite sides, and I, I'm on the more passionate side about that one. Anyways, cool. Um, we're a couple of minutes away from Andy Lindahl coming on the show. Therefore, let's touch, touch up on our Denver Broncos. This is a... Colorado radio station, so therefore this has to be a Denver Broncos affiliate. Just kidding. No, that's just my own personal bias. Anyways. That's Matt. I'm not Denver Bronco affiliate. In these team meetings, or sorry, in these league meetings, John Elway has been interviewed and asked, what the heck is Denver doing? They have been uh, speculated to draft a quarterback. They have been picked um, by a couple guys to draft Dwayne Haskins. There's also some picks that they're going to take a defensive end, a lineman, um, a tight end. Has been has been thrown into the occasions as well. So basically, what I want to know is, Mr. Elway, what are you thinking, sir? And what is your plan to draft a quarterback, if you have any, Elway? We're doing all our homework, you know, and that's the key thing is we want to do all our homework and open up the door to where you know. On Elway at the league meetings, John, uh, there's some reports out there that you'll be meeting with guys like Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. Uh, do you feel like quarterback's still an option at 10? Well, we're doing all our homework, you know, and that's the key thing is we want to do all our homework and open up the door to where, you know, who knows what we're going to do at 10. But the, the, the key thing is we make sure that we do all our homework on all the kids to, to see if they're a good fit for us or not. So, you know, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Not only quarterbacks, there's a lot of other guys we'll be looking at, too. Uh, what is homework like when you meet with one of these uh, quarterbacks? Well, you get to know them, you know, and you get them on the board, you know, kind of find out how much they know about football and what kind of guys they are. And, and you know, you much better feel for them than you get when, you know, 15 minutes in Indianapolis. And so I think, especially at the quarterback position, that's a big spot to, you know, try to get to know what they're about, you know, what kind of heart they have and what kind, of, what kind of competitors they are. But that's also true. I mean, we're bringing in the quarterbacks, but we've got 30 visits. So, you know, there'll be 25 other visits from uh, other players. Elway's been trying. I apologize. The video restarted there. I put lot, it in. I put it lots in of homework, it seems like. Yeah, yeah a lot of doing. homework. I, Elway may be bluffing. They may not even be looking at a quarterback. They've been working out a lot. They've been working out. Uh, they worked out Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Drew, uh, Drew Locke. They worked out the Northwestern quarterback as well. They've been working out everybody. They've been looking at, so they're definitely, yeah, they are doing so, their homework. So obviously, like Elway just said. obviously, Joe Flacco is not the permanent solution for well, Denver at well, this moment. Yeah, I if, mean, Elway's, Elway's 34, or Elway's 34. Flacco's 34, and he may not be around. He only has three years left on his contract. But what I want to point out is that Denver is good. They are safe for the next two to three years. The, this quarterback position is solid enough to where they don't have to panic and go and buy somebody or draft somebody. I don't Panicky. know. I'm, all I'm saying is that if they don't draft a quarterback this year, they're not going to be in complete panic mode, that they're not going to be having to rely on a Case Keenum or a Trevor Simeon or a Paxton Lynch. Trying three different guys out in a single season. Joe Flacco is consistent. He won't win or lose a game for you. He's just there. Yeah. So Well, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard it all before in quarterback situations, so this is going to be interesting to see what happens. When we come back, Andy Lindahl, what is he going to say? He'll join us here on Road Up. Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta on Camusay. The debate about sports specialization by high school athletes continues. Some argue that high school athletes who play one sport all year long 
have a better chance of landing a lucrative pro contract. But that's simply not true. In fact, 30 of the 32 first-round picks in last year's NFL draft played more than one sport in high school. Of the 32 players drafted, 22 also participated in high school track and field. 19 also played basketball. Some also played baseball and lacrosse. What's the path to success for high school athletes here in Colorado, no matter what their goals might be? Study hard. Always do your best. And if you can, play more than one sport in high school. This message presented by the Colorado High School Activities Association and the Colorado Athletic Directors Association. Honey, isn't it amazing? What? The, the sacrifice, the dedication, the grit. I mean, they really set an example, don't they? Oh, well, no question. Today's high school athletes are truly special. Not the athletes. Well, who? The officials. Oh. Today's student athletes are truly special. But there's something pretty great about the men and women who officiate their games, too. Like the way they're giving back to their communities. Officiating is a terrific way to stay in shape, meet new people, and stay connected to the game you love. But the biggest reason of all? We need more qualified high school officials here in Colorado. And without them, the rest of us would have a whole lot less to cheer about. High school games need officials. High school sports need you. Yeah. Interested in becoming a licensed high school official? Go to highschoolofficials.com to learn more and begin the application process. The Glacier Ice Arena, the place Glacier Ice Arena has plenty of fun for all. Weekly events include cheap skate on Wednesday nights and public skate at 7 on Friday nights. Skating is really great when you're at the coolest place in town. Glacier Ice Arena, located at 2515 Riverside Parkway. The Arena. Bray Commercial Real Estate specializes in commercial and industrial sales, leasing, land development, and investment properties. Many opportunities are currently available through agents with extensive knowledge of the commercial market. Bray Commercial Real Estate proudly serves the Grand Valley and surrounding areas. Powderhorn Mountain Resort has something to offer whether you ski or snowboard. Located less than an hour from Grand Junction, Colorado, on the northern rim of the Grand Mesa, Powderhorn has 1,600 skiable acres for both longtime enthusiasts and beginners alike. Now the resort is redefining value for skiers and riders with Mission Affordable. For more information on this program, visit powderhorn.com slash missionaffordable. That's powderhorn.com slash missionaffordable. Meet Josh. Hi, everybody. Josh is a high school basketball player, solid shooter, great teammate. Hey, don't forget my tenacious D. And he's my son. Uh huh. So, what does Josh do to be the best basketball player he can be? I play tennis. Studies show that student athletes here in Colorado who play more than one high school sport are more likely to excel. Tennis does more than improve Josh's condition, it gives him a fresh competitive outlet reduces the risk of injury by cross-training, and introduces him to different coaching techniques and new friends. Don't get me wrong, hoops are my first love. Tennis just gives me a little break. So when the new season begins, Josh isn't burned out on basketball. He's eager to play, and you can see the difference in his game. 
This message presented by the Colorado High School Activities Association and the Colorado Athletic Directors Association. Question. When you walk into the boardrooms of the most successful companies here in Colorado, who do you meet? When you're working for a mover and shaker with strong ties to our community, who are they? When you encounter a group of people eager to roll up their sleeves, who are you most likely to work with? Answer, men and women who played high school sports. Education-based high school sports give us more than athletes we can root for. They give us leaders we can depend on. Taking the initiative, being a good teammate, sacrificing personal glory for the greater good. These are qualities we expect of our leaders and they're all being cultivated in the high schools right here in Colorado. Question, so where will we find tomorrow's leaders? Answer, high school sports. This message presented by the Colorado High School Activities Association and the Colorado Athletic Directors Association. Anyways, cool. We got a very special guest on the show today, former Denver Broncos sideline reporter and from 760, some from, from Blue and Orange 760 in Denver, Andy Lindell. Andy, can you hear us okay? Yes, how are you guys doing? Good. We're doing, doing absolutely good. fantastic. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us today because, well, it's a, it's it's awesome to in order to get a, such a person with your prominence on our show. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Cool. So, Andy, um, you spent a very, very long time with KOA and the Denver Broncos, but you recently left that position. Um, can you please talk about how that experience was with you and what you're up to nowadays because um, you are uh, still in the media world. You're also having, doing your own podcast. Uh, tell me what, what you've been up to. Well, honestly, I'm trying to figure out life's next step. We work in an interesting industry, so, um, you know, for those looking to go into it, um, I always recommend it, but have a backup plan, I guess, is what I would tell you. But I I, I don't know. I'm talking with some folks in town. I can't. There's a chance I'm back in radio. There's about a 50-50 chance I'm back in radio, or I may be off doing other things. We'll see. Gotcha. Well, you're on the radio today, so thank you for taking time anyway so you've been around the broncos for a very very long time and that's what i kind of want to ask you about um they recently had implemented a rule change or they were trying to propose the rule change of changing the onside kick rules denver specifically they were the front goers of that one but the nfl has recently turned that down and has since implemented other rules like the pass interference replay rule and everything we've seen the last day what is your perspective on all those rule changes and which one stands out the most to you out of everything that we've seen well, I mean, I wish they would have put in the Broncos, um, the Broncos take on the onside kick. I would have been fascinated to see how somebody would have thought about maybe circumventing the system, for lack of a better term, because I could see the Patriots starting a game against a lesser opponent where they took their one-time fourth and 15 chance and tried to build a 14-point lead right away instead of using it later on in the game or something like that, because that's just so Bill Belichick, but... Uh, honestly, there's no point in having an on-site kick anymore uh, with the new kickoff rules and the spacing required and the running up and so on and so forth. I mean, um, and I think it takes some element of surprise or at least excitement, maybe I should say, out of a comeback at the end of the game. You know, now we all knew it was unlikely that you would get an onside kick, but, um, you know, it happened here and there, and it's cost teams games in the past, and the new onside kick is just, 
it's not worth even trying anymore. You're better off popping the ball up and hoping that some up man on the kick coverage fumbles the football because, you know, I've been 10 yards away from those things where um, the, the, the new rules, you can't even get a coverage guy close to the football before it's jumped on. So it's a wasted play. I think it kills a lot of comeback hopes. And for a, a league that loves scoring, I'm surprised it was a split vote and there wasn't maybe more in favor of it. And the pass interference is going to be interesting now that you can review it. I'm not necessarily against it, but I don't love the idea of coaches having to you know, waste challenges on it, so on and so forth. To me, let's have some sort of overseer like they do in other sports where um, if there's something that needs to be reviewed, buzz down and review, review it real quick. But, you know, I don't necessarily want my coach having to waste a challenge that could be used on a turnover or a possible missed scoring play on a pass interference call. I just think there's got to be a better way to do this, get the darn rules right, and quit put leaving it up to the coaches that have enough to worry about as to whether they need to throw the challenge flag or not. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's uh, that's very good take. Um, sticking with Denver, my, myself personally, Andy, I'm, I'm not a Denver fan. I'm, I'm a big Seattle fan. But I've been very curious from this. Um, what what do you think the highest possible move Denver could make in the draft? You know, the, the rumors going around that they could pick up a quarterback, a uh, tight end. Where do you see them looking at more in position-wise for this draft? Well, I mean, it's it's tough to be. I don't believe they're going to take a quarterback. When you talk about making a move, if they loved what they saw out of Dwayne Haskins, and for my money, Dwayne Haskins is the only one I'm taking a risk on. Uh, because he does have more of the traditional throwing style. He was not afraid to throw any pass ass of him at his pro day. Uh, I don't like, you know, again, if you go watch Drew Lock, and I would recommend, especially for young guys like yourself, go to go to YouTube and watch his game cut-ups, because we were talking about Drew Lock and Haskins and all the Daniel Jones, all the quarterbacks, you know, uh, back before the combine. And I actually went, actually, I think it was before the senior bowl with Jones and Locked in particular, I went to YouTube, and they've got full games that the guys have played where you can see every pass that they threw. And with Drew Locke, he's constantly falling away from a pass rusher that isn't there. I mean, Jay Teller used to throw off his back foot. Drew Locke, like, actually leans away when he's throwing a lot of the times, and I just don't like it. And I would also recommend for anybody wanting to grade these quarterbacks, don't watch the highlight tape. Um, again, watch the cut-ups and watch where the throws are going. Are the throws down the sideline? Are they on a single coverage man? Is there ever a safety in there? Is there ever a tight window that the throws are being fit into? That would be some of my concerns with Tyler Murray. Uh, from what I understand from the guys that I trust, uh, I know a guy that's a scout who told me one of the things he doesn't like about Murray's tape is a lot of the throws are in the one-on-one coverage, and it's not this tight throw where you've got a linebacker in your lane of vision, you've got a safety over the top, you've got a receiver popping in a spot in between the two, and you've got to drop the ball right in the spot, just kind of right in the bucket, as they say, between the two coverage guys. And if they're not throwing a lot of those passes, I'm going to be a little bit worried about how they transfer to the NFL because that was part of the problem with Paxton Lynch. He loved the sideline deep bomb, and it worked for him in college, but when he got here into the NFL and all of a sudden there's a safety over the top and he was confused by the coverages in the middle and he was afraid to throw the middle of the field, you, you could make it in the NFL. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Locke or, or – necessarily Kyler Murray, but I would have concerns about a lot of their highlight throws in college. So Haskins is the only guy I look at at quarterback. I don't think the Broncos are going to make the trade to move up. I think they desperately need to find a way to find an offensive lineman, but probably on the interior as they give 
uh, Mike Munchak a year to try to figure out if he can get Garrett Bowles fixed. And you're not going to draft a center or guard, I don't think, at 10. There isn't a Quentin Nelson in this year's draft. And so that interior part of the line, they don't like to take a 10. If they want to go that way, they'll trade back down. If it were me making the pick, I'd probably go with Devin White out of LSU. I just think they could use a dynamic middle linebacker. I think it'd get them closer to what they had in Fangio's defense with Roquan Smith out in Chicago. Um, or I'd take Greedy Williams a corner. I know there's worried about his tag. They're worried about his tackling, but I can tell you they should need four or five good cover corners. When the Broncos had that special defense in 2015, they had four corners, not just secondary players, four corners that could cover guys. So when you went four wide, they could put out four corners and shut down what you were doing without having to draw on a safety for help, and that allowed them to use David Bruton to cover tight ends. So uh, I bet you they go defensive unless they trade back. I wouldn't mind the kid out of Iowa tight end, but I just don't know. This is supposed to be a very deep tight end class, and so I would look for the special player at a position. If I'm picking a 10, I want the best at his position or the second best at his position rather than taking a, you know, like the third or fourth best guy, which they may end up with if they reach on some of the other positions. What do you think about TJ Hawkinson from, from Iowa? What do you think about Denver possibly implementing a dual tight end threat with Hireman and somebody else, whether that's Jake Butt, if he can come back from his 30 ACL tear or whatever? Denver's receiving corpse may not be as strong as it was in years past, we don't know how Emmanuel is, is going to play this year. Corlin Sutton may have a breakout year. But other than that, their depth may not be as strong as it has been. What do you think about John Elway possibly looking at some bigger guys to start implementing that downfield play? I'd be fine with it now, again, because the tight end class, and I, I got this from one of the scouts. He actually writes for CBS Sports, and he does a lot of mock drafts. His name is Ryan Wilson. If you want to look him up, he may even join you guys on your show at one point. Um, but he... He was the one that told us on 760 back in mid-January that this is a class where if you have needs and the Broncos have multiple needs, they don't necessarily have to take the top tight end. He said they're very, very close in rank. Hawkinson is definitely the, uh, I guess, gem of the class. I know some have compared him to a Travis Kelsey or a type like that. And if you're getting Travis Kelsey, and I'm absolutely in favor of it because especially with Joe Flacco, and this West Coast type of system that they're going to run, you're going to need a tight end that is more dynamic than Jeff Hireman at this point. I like Jeff Hireman, but Jeff Hireman for me is an injury waiting to happen. And frankly, Jake Butt, I was really excited about Jake Butt when I was seeing them do with him in the red zone last year, especially in the offseason workout stuff that unfortunately never made the field because he got hurt sorely. But he was a true weapon during the offseason workouts uh, when they got in the red zone and they were having trouble covering him. But this is three knee injuries for the kid, you know. I'm not relying on you. I'm hoping at this point. And frankly, I'm hoping that the Jeff Hireman contract works out. I'm not relying on it. So, uh, and Troy Fumagalli is another guy that I would I would keep in your in your mindset. I think that's a kid that uh, I feel like they almost stashed him last year. I think they had a convenient injury. Uh, they felt like they didn't need to put him on uh, the active roster because of what they had in Jake Butt, because of uh, what they had in the other tight ends. And so I think Troy Fumagalli, I wonder if they could have done that over again. Would they have done it differently? Would they have only put him on a six-week list instead of the list for the entire season? But um, I, I think it's fine if they go that route, but they've got to fix the middle of the offensive line, period. They've got to find – I think you need a better option at center. Even though I like Connor McGovern, I'd rather have Connor McGovern at my guard. And Ron Leary at left guard – the only reason why Ron Leary wasn't let go was because of injury. He had an injury guarantee. If he did not have an injury guarantee in his contract, I think he would have been let go. And I love Ron Leary. He's a battler. But the guy, again, he is beat up. 
And I think Denver will get into dangerous territory if you're relying on guys with long injury histories to play significant roles, especially when it comes to blocking for Joe Flacco. We just got used to seeing McGovern at guard. All of a sudden, yeah, like you just said, they switched him to center. Now we're unsure with how everything's going to look out. But the way that Denver's been approaching this offseason has been defensive, primarily strong, especially in the free agency market. They re-signed Zach Kerr. They brought in Bryce Callahan. They brought in Kareem Jackson. They're bringing in these guys to buffing up the secondary after um, dropping guys like Darian Stewart to rebuild whatever uh, Vic Fangio wants to establish there. Do you see them replicating a 2015-2016 formula to go deep into the playoffs, and do you see that being possible and logical with what Elway, Joe Ellis, and Fangio are doing this offseason? If they were to get a special middle linebacker, I think it's possible. Now, they still... One of the undervalued parts of that 2015 team was David Bruton because he was their big safety that covered tight ends that didn't require double coverage. He he was the guy that was able to take guys one-on-one, and Denver really hadn't had that. I was surprised, frankly, it took him so long in his career to find that role. I don't know why other teams didn't, or the other coaching staff, I should say, didn't use David that way uh, before Wade Phillips got here. So. They need to find that answer at covering the tight end, and maybe it's going to be Justin Simmons with the coverage that they've added in the secondary. I could see Kareem Jackson moving to safety and kind of being the new Darian Stewart. A lot of people uh, have underplayed the fact that Kareem Jackson actually had moved to safety for Houston last year, and then around the time of the Denver game, the injuries piled up so much they moved him back to cornerback. So um, I don't know that Denver maybe doesn't have design that's actually playing safety uh, and just going – maybe that route, and if they were to pick a corner at number one at that number 10 pick, um, I think you could get close to the 2015 defense, but I don't know. You know, you still don't have your Malik Jackson interior pass rush presence. That's something else they would have to um, kind of figure out, and I don't know who provides that. Zach Kerr, uh, you know, Shelby Harris at times, I guess, has done that. Those guys are pretty good at doing it, but not to the level of Malik. Malik used to collapse the pocket and make guys uncomfortable because there's not a quarterback in the league, including Tom Brady, that likes the pressure coming from their face. A lot of even the good packet, uh, pocket passers, they don't mind the pressure coming from the outside. Brady, Manning, Breeze, they're all that way. But when it comes right up the middle, they don't like it. That forces them to take their eyes off what's going on downfield and try to find an escape route. And Malik Jackson did that consistently with Derek Wolf in that 2015 season. So... Unless they can find someone to pair with Wolf to really provide that up-the-middle sort of pass rush, I don't know if they'll get all the way back to 2015, but I do think the defense will yet again be the strength of this this team. How big would you be on Denver using that number 10 pick to get a guy like Christian Wilkinson or Ed Oliver from Houston to, to use that in order to implement? Because, you know, Fangio loves his defense, and he loves a strong defensive line. And if they can get that settled, man, hey, they can win some games at least – to, uh, to prevent a third consecutive losing season. I mean, I, I, I could see them taking that route, especially with the way that they've been drafting in the last couple of years. See, for me, um, like, I mean, I'll tell you this. If you're giving me Warren Sapp, I don't have a problem with <laughs> it, right? Um, you know, I, I don't care. I really don't even care the position. Just find me a player. You know, you've got to have a good draft this year, period. You've got to put another draft class together. You went through the Paxton Lynch and Garrett Bulls draft classes where pretty much all the guys are gone. And those are supposed to be the guys that make up the core of your team right now. And now you've cut most of them because they haven't worked out. So that's got to change. You need to get another draft class that you can put together so it's the core of the team for years to come. And I definitely think that they had that kind of draft last year. And I think they can do it again. As far as going with the D-tackle, I mean, 
The last time they went D-tackle, the highest D-tackle that John Owe has taken was Sylvester uh, Sylvester Williams back in, I don't even remember the year, but um, gosh, was he on the Super Bowl team? It might have been 2013 or 2014, but, um, you know, it worked out okay, and when it works out just okay, that's kind of a problem. You know, I guess it, it depends on if you believe those guys are game changers, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you the ultimate draft expert, but I know this. I've talked to enough scouts. There's one guy in particular that I lean on who's told me there's 20 blue chip players in any draft, 20 total. And that's why even in the first round, there's no guarantees once you get up beyond pick 20. Some people thought a couple years ago there were only 15 in the Garrett Bowles draft, but it was a really weak class. Um, I, I don't care who you take. You just better take one of those blue chippers that you know is going to be around for a while. It's why I don't have a problem. I know people are trying to rewrite history and wishing they hadn't taken Bradley Chubb and maybe they should have gone with a quarterback and maybe they should have gone with Quentin Nelson. You know, it's the Quentin Nelson thing. It's a wash to me. Would he have been as good here? Because he wouldn't have been playing with Andrew Luck. So I don't know if he would have been as good here as he's been in Indy. I mean, he still would have been a nice piece to have to build your line around. But Bradley Chubb's going to be your pass rusher for a long, long time. And I know you passed on some good quarterback prospects. And I was a fan of Sam Darnold. Uh, I liked Baker Mayfield, but I, you know, as we got to April, it seemed to me there were a few people that knew Baker Mayfield was not going to be available um, beyond number one because that's how much the Browns had zeroed in on him. And you passed on Rosen, you passed on Allen. I don't have a problem with it because ultimately I think Bradley Chubb's going to be a better player than those other two quarterbacks. You know, Josh Allen had some mild success, but he had it because he was running the football. He's going to get killed sooner or later. That, that's the NFL history. So I'm not convinced until he shows me he can throw even uh, Jackson out there in Baltimore, until you show me you can throw from the pocket, you're nothing more than a gimmick for a couple years. So I think whoever it is, you just don't, when it comes to picking in the top 10, you've got to hit on that pick. Because when you miss on it, you become the Cleveland Browns and you perpetually pick in the top 10 until you figure it out. Yeah. Uh, very good points. Um, kind of switching over from sports here, uh, we know you're a big fan of DU Lacrosse. You always share a lot of their practices on Twitter, uh, me being a big lacrosse fan as well. Seeing DU this season, they've kind of had their struggles. They're off and on. They've lost a couple big games to teams like Notre Dame, Duke, and Princeton. How? Where do you think a lot of their struggles are starting to lie from this DU team, which we've seen kind of change from when they won that championship back a few years ago? Well, I think they're probably in a, in a leadership transition. I can't tell you that I've been able to watch a lot of their games. I actually coach lacrosse out here. Um, you know, I, I love Coach Tierney. I played lacrosse, and, and, you know, I thought about heading out to Grand Junction and Mesa State, and uh, I wanted to play lacrosse out there, but they only had a football team. And so the coach actually said, if you want to come and try to play football, we'll let you come play football, but there's no lacrosse around here. And this was in the early 90s. So yeah. um, for me... Uh, for the longest time in Colorado, we were kind of the forgotten state when it came to lacrosse. Yep. So you tried, mm -hmm. you would try to reach out to a lot of coaches, and if you got anywhere past, say Kansas or Missouri, maybe if you were lucky, coaches just didn't want to talk to Colorado players because they didn't think we knew what we were doing. So it's awesome to have a guy like Coach Tierney here. It's amazing what he's been able to do. It's been amazing to see the championships here and NCAA games in Denver and the tournament and so on and so forth. Um, as far as this year, I think they're probably just in a transition of leadership, and I will tell anybody. Uh, and if you love lacrosse, you probably already know this. Do not undervalue the face-off guy. You've yeah. got to have a good face-off, man. Um, you've got to be able look, look, DU fell short last year in part because, unfortunately, Trevor Baptiste, when they got into the tournament, 
Uh, the game that they lost, he was he was even. He was 50-50. He wasn't dominating the face-off decks the way he had all year long, and it ultimately led to one more possession than the D wanted, and they lost the game. Um, I, th- I just think I know I saw the highlight. I don't remember which game it was from, but it, it started with uh, a win at the X, at the face-off X for the opposing team, and it was a game a couple weeks ago, and they ended up losing because they went down and got the winning goal, and it was a 9-8 loss. Um you know, it's just one of those, you've got to win at the X. I think, you know, I know they've had okay results as their face-off guy this year, but tra- replacing Trevor Baptiste at the face-off X is like trying to replace John Elway at the quarterback position. That's just how good he was. And DU's been very, very lucky to have him because that leads to possessions. And, um, I, you know, I think they'll be back. I think they're probably just reestablishing who is the guy on this team right now. And then once they get it figured out, um, but you never know. You know what? Tierney's had some teams that have had some tough regular seasons and got it together in the playoffs. It's all about getting hot. If they can just get in the playoffs and be on a good streak and kind of feel good about themselves, anything can happen. Yeah, and definitely sitting at number nine so far in the coaching polls is really beneficial for them, especially considering their next game, their next couple of games are probably going to be some of their tough ones. Georgetown, Villanova always tends to give DU a run for their money in the end too. And if you're looking for a coaching position, CMU may be opening up here, here, here in a year, and they got a successful program. Armac champions, and they always reach the NCAA tournament. Having a struggle season this year, but hey, I mean, if you ever want to come out to Grand Junction to take some coaching jobs, I think CMU may, uh, may extend an arm to you if you may be interested. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'd love to coach at the college level, but there are a lot of other prospects here that you'd be advised to look into before myself. So, um, you know, look, I love the sport. I actually was offered a coaching job. Out, I was playing in the Vail tournament in the mid-90s, and they were trying to get some stuff going up in Washington, and they pretty much came out to the tournament and asked, does anybody want to move to Washington and coach lacrosse? So, um, But it's not it, it's not the easiest way to pay your bills at some of the lower levels, I can tell you that. But uh, it, it's a great sport. I mean, It's amazing to me to see how it's grown, because like I said, I was told there were no lacrosse options out there in Grand Junction just as back as 93. So... Um, there's been a lot of growth for the sport. I hope it keeps going. I hope some other, like I hope the PAC 12 is rumored to be picking it up because it's an easy, easy title nine solution with both men's and women's teams. So I hope it continues to grow. And, uh, I don't know. I hope more, I know our youth programs are booming here. I don't know what it's like, uh, that far out West, but we've got a lot of youth programs here and it's just really cool to see. Andy, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, long, long, yeah, longer than, than we anticipated, but I really appreciate you coming on and out of your busy day to, to, to talk about some some good sports today so thank you anytime guys take care yeah you're welcome back thank anytime you. thanks andy have a good one anyways that was andy lindahl yeah. from 760 blue and orange or at least formerly known as from 760 blue and orange in denver as well as a former sideline reporter for the denver broncos from 850 koa now you can listen to him on after nights with andy lindahl his podcast you can find that on iTunes, he talks uh, football, he talks life, he talks family, he talks anything because it's his own show. And um, he's a free man now. So anyway, any professional sporting organization, so you want some knowledgeable guy, you just listen to him basically blow our minds for 30 minutes with all of his Denver yeah. knowledge. He's been in the game for a very long time, and I really hope the best for Mr. Lindell. I grew up listening to him um, on KOA with, of course, Dave Logan, who we've had on the show, mm-hmm. and now Mr. Lindell. It's, it's of course, I'm I'm eyeing Tyler Columbus next. He's uh, He had the show with Andy back on to 760 Blue and Orange, and he uh, is a former Super Bowl champion with Denver Broncos. So 
He's he's next on my radar. He's next. Anyways, <laughs> that is all we have for today's show. Join us tomorrow at 4 p.m. Mountain West time with your second edition of the week with Wired Up. Jerry, you have a good one? You have a good show? You yeah. got a class to go to, actually. I do. So I'll let you I'll go I'll be a little late, but That's it's right. fine. Anyways, join us next week. Matt Kennedy, Jared Peralta on Wired Up.